Jenny Dutson, a neurodiverse 30-something who is obsessed with organisational psychology and welcome to Lightbulb Moments, the podcast about all things psychology. Welcome to another conversation on Lightbulb Moments. I'm having a chat with Jaylene about crucial conversations. Jaylene, tell us about yourself. So my name is Jaylene Lurkey, and I'm the Global People and Culture Manager at Instem. Um, I work with a team of amazing HR professionals who have the opportunity every day to help our business, help our leaders to be better at their jobs and ultimately, hopefully, improve the overall employee experience at working at Instem. In this episode... So when we don't step into those conversations, we're actually perpetuating the problem, making it more hairy, if you will. Have you thought about this? And I'm like, oh, no, I haven't. And it's genius, Jaylene. I haven't thought about that thing. Those two together are some pretty secret sauce there. Welcome to Lightbulb Moments. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Jenny? I am. I, I'm a good version of myself today. Probably not the best version, but I am a good version of myself today. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. So, yeah, yeah I, I can't complain. Um, so we've done welcomes and in a moment I'm going to ask you what we're, what we're talking about. Uh, but one of the things that I really like to do is to ask people who come on the podcast, like what's our origin story? So how do we know each other? What has led to this moment of our love of having this conversation that we're going to start talking about? Um, uh, how do we know each other? We've known each other for, gosh, about seven years now. Um, we met because we worked together at DYS in the HR group. And uh, yeah, we've worked together fairly closely for the last several years. And then now at Instem after DYS was acquired. And I think that um, for me... One of the things that I I always think is part of our origin story is just how we have such different perspectives on things, but you bring such a richness and such a, a softness to what I would think of, of my harsh, logical brain. You <laughs> have that ability to just say, have you thought about this? And I'm like, oh, no, I haven't. And it's genius, Jaylene. I haven't thought about that thing. So I'm just... Straight- wow, that's some high phrase, Jenny. Yeah, so I just, appreciate that. Yeah, so just straight off the bat, I, I appreciate you, Jaylene. Thank you, Jenny. I feel much the same. I'm always in awe of you and the things that you are capable of doing. <laughs> so today we are... Tell us what we're talking about. We are talking about something that is a very, very common theme in life of, in HR, <laughs> and that is crucial conversations. Okay. Um, and we both, this is something that both of us have a passion for. We both understand um, conceptually the idea of crucial conversations, but also the, like, the real life aspect of it. So we don't just know it. I feel like we live it. <laughs> I do agree with this. Um, when you say crucial conversations, for people listening that have no idea what you're talking about, give us a rundown of what that is. So there are those conversations where you realize there's something you need to talk to somebody about, 
but it has a lot of emotion tied to it. Usually maybe some stress, just knowing this conversation is going to be challenging. Um, And there's probably a lot at stake, even in how the conversation goes to ultimately get you where you need to be. So it's something that people tend to be quite hesitant to engage in, oftentimes avoid doing because they're a little fearful about how that conversation might go. So as you think about things in life, whether it's, as you said, it is oftentimes part of our everyday life at work, at home, all around us. Um, those things that maybe we're not stepping up to talk about, but are really bothering us. I feel like I don't know who it is that says it. It could be you. Someone says it's the conversations that have a lot of hair on them. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> that is so true. And I know <laughs> it's so funny. I use that phrase a lot, but I actually got that phrase from our dear friend, Mindy. <laughs> oh, shout out to Mindy. <laughs> Um, so they are those conversations that you just, I sometimes feel like you go, oh, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to, it's, it makes me feel either uncomfortable or icky or it's not going to go well. I think these are some of the things that people often tell themselves. Um, what, what's your perspective on why, why is crucial conversations such an important knowledge to have with people? Because I think that what ends up happening is when we don't step into those conversations, we're actually perpetuating the problem, making it more hairy, if you will. And ultimately, we're never going to get to the resolution that is needed to keep the relationship where it needs to be or restore it. Um, And it's just going to continue to snowball into this gigantic thing that's like the big pink elephant sitting in the corner of the room that we're just not addressing. And... Yeah, I never see anything good from the avoidance of the conversation, <laughs> even though, it, yes, it creates some fear and trepidation in people. It is so much better to rip the Band-Aid off, go into the conversation prepared, but ready to try to get to a place where you're both in a better place as a result. Yeah. And when we talk about crucial conversations, we talk about there being three different types of conversations, right? So you can go into... Uh, as you're going into that conversation, there's three different types of conversations. So there's that content conversation, which was, hey, Jenny, you were late today. I know, Jaylee, I know I was actually late today. Look, I'm ho- ho- hanging my head in shame, especially because um, uh, last time we recorded uh, some episodes, uh, producer Liam basically had rage face about lateness. <laughs> so let's take let's take the path of lateness. Um, you have those content conversations, which is like, hey, you were late today. You have pattern conversations, which was, hey, you've been late four times out of our last five meetings. And then there's those relationship conversations, right? So it's like, hey, you've been late four times out of our last five meetings. And I'm starting to think that you don't care. And they can be the different kinds of conversations. Which ones do you see the most when you're working in your in your space? I definitely see the most those that are patterns in relationship. And I think it is simply because people avoid the conversation when they could have had it first and foremost, first time it happened, you know, because if we don't say something, we're basically giving the approval for whatever it was to continue because there's an assumption that if there was something wrong, somebody would have said something. Mm. So we have now basically said, yeah, we're fine with this. (laughs) <laughs> no problem at all. And then 
people tend to come to us to talk through things when they have become a chronic pattern and really impacted the relationship. And at that point, it is a harder conversation to have. It's more to unpack. It's more hairy, if you will, more to work through at that point. I uh, I feel like this hairy analogy uh, is uh, definitely, we're going to carry on with the hairy analogy because I just think it's funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in terms of so for me, when um, and crucial conversations is a book. It's a methodology. There's essentially what I love about it is, um, I as someone who likes the logic of things, I like that there's like a ten step process to being able to have a, a, a crucial conversation. First, you do this, then you do this, um, and for me, I think the light bulb moment is the concept of the story I tell myself. Because I think that I, almost on a daily basis, when something happens, I go, hang on, what's the story I'm telling myself right now? Um, in terms of the, the crucial conversations and kind of that methodology, what's the thing that's your light bulb moment? What's the thing that you take away that you use most frequently? I wish I had a different one than you, Same. but the reality is it is the stories versus the facts. That is something that we do without even realizing it. And until you go through and understand what is actually a fact and what is your story, it it totally can change your mindset of, wow, I have taken a big leap here from something that happened, Jenny was late to the call, to she doesn't care about me. She doesn't care about my time. She's not invested in what we're working on. She, you know, this, that, and the other. All of those are my story. They're not the fact. The fact is she was late. That's the only fact I have here. I mean, I could take a step back from that and say, okay, let's not put my story in it. Why might Jenny have been late? Maybe her car broke down. Maybe she had, you know, got stuck in traffic. Maybe there was some other actual reason. It doesn't have anything to do with me, my value, how she perceives me. So that absolutely is... When I went through this, that was the thing for me that I just was like, holy cow, I don't realize how much I'm doing that until I went through and really understood. Mm. And I, so what you were just saying then, I don't know if I've ever thought of it in that way, but what you've said is so true that when I'm telling, when I'm telling myself a story, those negative stories, because we naturally move to negative stories, um, they're actually really self-indulgent. I, I don't think I realized how self-indulgent my negative stories are because like you say, oh, she doesn't value my time. It's all about me. But then when you tell yourself another story, it almost takes it away from yourself. It externalizes mm -hmm. and it's not about, it's not as self-centered. But I don't think I've ever realized that until you've just said it in that way. Yeah. And you know, the thing that I think kind of piggybacks on that whole approach and the way that you um, can almost stop yourself from doing it, it's just taking a moment. And we love to say this, Jenny, I know, but <laughs> assume positive intent, right? Yeah. Like, stop. What's the fact? Okay. I'm going to assume positive intent. Jenny was late. What's the positive intent here? Jenny did not try to do this to personally hurt me, to undermine me. She doesn't want to, you know, do something terrible to me as a person. So I need to assume the best of her. 
until I really truly understand what happened here. And if I go in optimistically with a positive assumption that you, you know, didn't want to hurt me by doing this, then I'm going to be in a better position to really listen because I don't have that defensive already feeling really negative about you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. kind of like the piggyback of it that I think those two together are some pretty secret sauce there. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't know if I think in a way until you adopt the process, until you can do do that, you don't actually realize how much of the secret sauce it is. Because as you just alluded to, when you tell yourself a story, you then feel a certain way and then you act a certain way. So in, yep. right? So in terms of when when we're telling ourselves those negative stories, and what was really interesting was even just then when you were were pretending with those stories, I could see with your body language, right? You were more tense. And so mm. even if we're if we're creating this fictional situation where we're talking about something, and I can see how tense you are and and I can see the embodiment of the the anger and the disappointment. How much must that be amplified when it's a real situation and it's a real story we're telling ourselves? Absolutely. And I think the more that the pattern has continued and you've continued to tell your story, and then oftentimes the closer you are to that relationship with a person, oftentimes a family member, we have just, you know, years of things that have fed into our story, perhaps through the lens we view life and the situation. And it is a big, hairy thing to unpack. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and unravel if you will <laughs> I feel like the uh it's almost can you guess how many times one or other of us is going to say the word hairy right. within That's a right. 35 I'm just minute thinking, slot. like a big old hairball and I'm trying to go through it with a comb and it's just stuck <laughs> in terms of those like really hairy conversations and now I'm just going to see how many times you can actually say it um what are some other ones that you see, like most commonly in from a corporate perspective? And then are there any that you see from a personal perspective as well? As far as from a corporate perspective, I think so often there is just something small, something small that if real-time feedback was given, it would never turn into something where a crucial conversation was needed. Um, I just think it is honestly, feedback is missing. People do not feel comfortable or they're nervous about stepping into feedback. And I think that is where our crucial conversation need stems from because feedback wasn't given. How I'm going to ask you a, a, a Jaylene question now. Um, what are some of the crucial conversations that you've had to have? personally Mm. yeah (laughs) so personally not workplace related um i will tell you this was another thing that absolutely hammered home the stories versus facts for me um i had a moment where you could have knocked me over with a feather once i really evaluated what was going on i had a um a serious family situation that was happening and um I had someone in my family who I thought really needed to be involved as we worked through this very serious situation. And this person just 
chose not to, not to respond when um, I reached out and asked for help with the situation. And so you're taking a situation that was very highly emotional, stressful. The weight of it was so heavy on me. And I immediately jumped to all sorts of stories and conclusions based on the fact that I sent a message. There was no response. That was the fact. (laughs) But all this extra stuff played into that, all of that, you know, the relationship I've had with this person for years, you know, all of that just fed into this thing. And I realized, you know, I had put this person up as the absolute villain. They were just a horrible person. How could they not care? How were they just such a horrible villain in this? And, you know, just was so upset. And once I took that step back, recognized what is my fact here? What is my story? Let me set my story aside. What might other what might other reasons be for the fact that the person did not respond to me? I realized what I had done and all that I had created. And I just simply talked to the person and said, hey, I've reached out to you. I noticed you haven't responded. Is everything okay? I took an approach instead of assuming they didn't want to respond to me, they did not care about our family situation, assuming maybe something was wrong. Maybe they had an issue and they couldn't respond. And we were able to really have a good dialogue. And I recognized how destructive those stories can be. And that is why that is my favorite, most impactful part of the whole conversation, truthfully. Yeah. And I think that you, and again, like you say, we've known each other for a good seven years. I think that you have the ability to get to positive intent so much quicker than I do like I still feel like I'm very reactive and my first instinct is to be like oh well I become a keyboard warrior um and and then sometimes I think what would Jaylene do (laughs) and and you know as well I will often um I send you messages about things um I in fact I did it just yesterday where I was like Jaylene I don't know how to respond to this help me (laughs) and the thing that you came back with was so kind and there was so much positive intent that that's something that I and my brain just my brain would never even consider it um how do you how quickly do you switch from those negative stories to the the positive the kinder stories how quickly can you do it it's sometimes it's easier than others. And I think, again, it's like depends on kind of the history that you've already built up. What's the track record? What am I assuming? Is this the first time? I don't really know. Maybe it's it's, it's easier to jump to a positive side. If there's a lot more, we'll say it here, <laughs> a lot more hairiness, you know, complexity and history there. It's harder. It's for sure harder. But Again, I just think it it is a conscious, intentional effort to stop the dialogue in my head with the story and assumption and conclusions and all of this stuff I'm putting in and saying, wait a minute, what might be a different reason for this that actually doesn't have anything to do with me? Hmm. You know? So it can be harder the more that, the more history you have there, but it is something that I really do try to intentionally check myself on. Yeah. If you've got uh, organizations that can have crucial conversations versus organizations that don't know how to do cru- crucial conversations, 
what do you think the benefit is? Like, what are the benefits in, in the places that you've worked where people know the skills and they know about leading with positive intent and they know about victims and villains and, and helpless and all of those things? Why is it so beneficial in an, in an organization to go for those crucial conversations? Because I think ultimately it gets you to such a better, cohesive, collaborative environment rather than... It, and here's an example, rather than sitting there with my notepad, marking down every every infraction. <laughs> and I have known people that do this, <laughs> write down every infraction, but never step up to the conversation. Now you have two silos, both working separately, neither of them, you know, are assuming good things about each other. You think about the way they're going to work together cohesively in a team, how they're going to, you know, come together and be great for the company versus I'm going to do my piece. I don't trust the people around me because I've assumed all these negative things about them. And, you know, it's, I think the, absolutely the performance, the productivity, all of that is going to plummet if you don't step into those conversations. So it's worth investing in just in the, in the learning of it, right? Like you would say it's, it's something that people should, should do. I, I absolutely think so. And I know, at our company, um, both DYs and Instem, um, we have had such positive feedback because this is hard to do. I know it can sound, you know, easy when, you know, we maybe describe, oh yeah, you're a victim, you're building your helpless, you know, we're using all these words for the training. But the reality is giving somebody a toolkit, giving them something to be able to pull from in a high stress, high emotion, you know, time, gives you a little bit more confidence than you had before you took the class. A little bit more like, I have some things I could actually try here. I have some resources. Um, it just, it builds up that sense that I can maybe do this. Whereas, you know, not taking the class, not having a clue, we just kind of go on our way and very few conversations probably are happening and relationships are definitely impacted. Yeah. How do you respond in, I'm just thinking of times where I've I've delivered crucial conversations. How do you respond when someone's sat in your training and you get to the point where you say to them, just write one or two conversations down. Give me a couple of examples of things where maybe you're not holding a conversation that you want to. And you have, I feel like we invariably have that one person who sits back and goes, I always speak my mind. I always say <laughs> everything that I need to say, there are zero crucial conversations that I need to have. How do you, how do you do, and you're laughing, Jaylene, because in your head, you are picturing people. How, yes, yeah. <laughs> how do you deal with that? Because like, we probably have different responses. So I'd love to hear what your response is. <laughs> Mine is like, uh, get over yourself, dude. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, true story, Jenny, we were in a training together, and this may have happened at some point. Um, and yeah, it, it's mind boggling, really, because I think that anyone who says there's no conversations they're not having probably is um, not going deep enough in there. <laughs> <laughs> in their thinking, because it isn't all just surface stuff. Sometimes it can be something you haven't talked about probably from a few years ago with somebody who maybe is a family member or something. And as a result, you've just kind of taken an approach where I'm just not going to deal with it. It is what it is. Nothing's ever going to change. So you've kind of built up a shell, if you will. 
But if you think about how deep that relationship could be and how much better it could be if you started to slowly work on addressing some of those things. So I think the person probably just hasn't dug deep enough. And I mean, the reality is sometimes people aren't ready. Mm. They're just not ready to do that deep self-evaluation. Yeah. And we have to let them get there when they're, you know, in their own time. Yeah. We can't force them to drink the water. We can only lead them to it. <laughs> I'm like holding the head down in the water. Like you will drink this water. You will drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm the, uh, you know, the person on the tarmac on the air, bringing the airplanes. I'm like, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> they're veering to the side. Oh, no, no. <laughs> It um it got, so one of the things that's got me thinking is when you're when we're talking about this because we are talking about potentially serious conversations and we're talking about conversations that impact relationships, but they can start like you said from something really small. Um, the example I have is, and it seems really innocuous, and um, what you'll find funny is people always solution with this example. So my example is Ali and I have been together for. 20 years and which is a long it's a long old time Jaylene um, <laughs> Ali my husband amazing um and we squeeze the toothpaste from different places mm. I am a middle of the tube squeezer he is an end of the tube squeezer and for years and years we both aggressively squeezed the tube from different places annoyed at the other person because it became this pattern which became this story which was the other person doesn't care about me and why are they doing this and and all of those kind of this is something against me kind of thing but it can start with something as simple as where someone squeezes the toothpaste my first question Jaylene are you a middle squeezer or an end squeezer yes (laughs) (laughs) When it's full, I squeeze in the middle. As it starts to go down, I roll from the bottom. The way it should be. But it can. The point I'm trying to make is it can start from something that people might seem really innocuous, but can actually become, like you said, this huge elephant, right? Yes, it's so true. And you think about that. And as silly of an example as it is, sometimes it is like that is the straw that broke the camel's back. Because if you're not talking about and working on something bigger, then all these little things are just going to be piling on, which is what happens too. And in all of these types of conversations, every little thing is one more bit of evidence to your story that they just don't care or whatever the story is. So whenever we have them in the UK, I'm sure you have extreme versions of them in the US. Um, The TV shows, which are like neighbors at war, (laughs) <laughs> those kinds of where it's like um, Andrew cut his bushes four centimeters too small, and then <laughs> Janet retaliated, and and you know that kind of. And I always think these examples, if they had a crucial conversation, that's that would literally solve all of their problems. What do you think about that? <laughs> I mean, it's so true. true. It really is. It's <laughs> it's crazy, but it is absolutely true. You know, one thing that. I think, too, helps really guide you stepping into that conversation. Maybe if you're feeling like, oh, my goodness, I don't know how to I don't even know how to begin with this. I just it's it's just too much. It's too big. It's too it's too hairy. 
There we go. The hairy again. I feel like we should be having a drinking game or something. Yes. Say here. Yeah, I am. Um, Producer Liam sat over there doing shots every time you say the go. word hairy. There we go. So <laughs> the pictures start getting a little. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyways, I think part of the part of the issue is you know if you start if you take a step back and you think what is it that I really want from this? Yeah. Like you know what is what is it that I really desire for the situation or the relationship or whatever? Because when we go into a crucial conversation, our objective isn't to get, it shouldn't be, (laughs) to get the other person to my thinking. Mm -hmm. It should be coming together, mutually agreeing on something that is going to be good for everyone involved. It doesn't have to be my way. Maybe that's not the best way, but I want to step into that because ultimately what is it that I want here? And many times it's, I want a better relationship with a person. I want things to be, you know, um, just more trusting and comfortable and safe. And um, especially when you're dealing with family and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, that doesn't mean that my way has to be the ultimate resolution. It means that I'm going to be willing to step in there humbly, tentatively, trying to solution with them to get where we need to be so that I keep my mind on what is it we really want here. Yeah. So. I think that um if if more people knew about crucial conversations, there would be so much less conflict and so much so much more kindness, which is almost what, what you're talking about right now. Um yeah. Jaylene, just as we start to to wrap up, um if someone's if someone's listening and thinks, oh, I, this is something I need in my life, what would be the one thing that you would tell someone or the one piece of advice you'd give someone to start working towards having better conversations? I would talk to somebody that, uh, you know, knows about crucial conversations, whether it is interacting with you, um, you know, if they know somebody at work that's done it or, you know, there's certainly the book out there, Crucial Conversations, but I would encourage them to take that first step yeah. towards trying to find out a little bit more about it because it is truly a great tool. Mm-hmm. And on that note, do you know who does know about Crucial Conversations? Adele. There was this big hoo-ha on the internet because she tweeted about it like, oh, Crucial Conversations, this book changed my life. So, really? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if, if Adele is endorsing it, it must be good. <laughs> On that note, Jaylene, um, thank you for all of your hairy content today. Um, You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, we try to unsnarl the world. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. <laughs> um, I appreciate having you as someone that I can always come to to give me a, a different perspective of what I feel like is all the scenarios. So thank you for being you. Thank you, Jenny. It's always a pleasure to hang out with you. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jaylene as much as I did. I love talking about crucial conversations. And my light bulb moment for today was very much about the story that you tell yourself and just to, to check yourself and think, is there a different story? For now, toodles. Toodles.